Hello, my name is Emily Jansen, and this is the Leadership is Female podcast. I'm a female leader in sports. I'm the general manager of a AAA baseball team in minor league baseball, and I'm the first woman to hold this title in nearly 20 years. And I'm here with the Leadership is Female podcast to make sure that this amount of time never goes by again before another woman leads. Marion Wright Edelman said, you can't be what you can't see. So I am here to interview successful women in sport to uncover opportunity, learn the tips, learn from our mistakes, learn from our successes to get you to the top faster. Join me and my guests week after week, season after season, as we reach back to extend a hand to pull you forward. I will lead her forward because leadership is female. Emily Reza founded Forth and Crawford, a creative communications agency specializing in athlete brand management after 10 years in the sports industry. For six years, Emily worked one-on-one with Beverly Hills Sports Council's roster of 100-plus major league and minor league players as the director of public relations and social media. Prior to BHSC, she spent 11 total seasons creating in-game content and entertainment for the LA Dodgers, LA Clippers, LA Kings, and LA Chargers. Emily earned her master's degree in strategic public relations from the University of Southern California and a bachelor's degree in communications from the University of Laverne. With all this accomplishment, it might be easy to think that Emily has had an easy road to success, but one of the things she's most proud of is her humble beginnings. She attended her first MLB game as a member of the Boys and Girls Club and was the first person in her family to go to college. She has a passion to provide representation for Latinxes in sports, as well as inspiration for any young person who may feel they don't have access to resources to get a job in the sports industry. At Fourth and Crawford, Emily represents many clients, and one I've got to mention is a powerhouse woman in sports, Lizette Carnett who is the executive director of Yesel Puig's Wild Horse Children's Foundation and an agent at Luva Sports. I say this every time, but this episode is a great one. I know you'll learn as much from Emily as I did and have a passion to cheer her on in her career. So without further ado, let's go. Welcome to the Leadership is Female podcast, Emily Reza, founder of Fourth and Crawford. So happy to have you today. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So I want to kick you off by you introducing yourself to us. Tell us who you are, what you do, and how you got there. Yeah. So my name is Emily Reza. I'm the founder of Fourth and Crawford, a creative communications agency specializing in athlete branding. How I got here is a loaded question, I think, for me, just because my mind goes so many different places. I know it's, it's probably not the typical answer, but I feel like just you know, being exposed to, you know, sports community relations as a kid got me here. My faith got me here. Work ethic got me here. Um, So many, you know, different characteristics that I think got me here. But I guess in a more literal sense, I got here because I got my foot in the door early into the sports industry. And I just feel like I never really took my foot off the gas. I love that. And before we dig into all the incredible career opportunities that you've had, I want to start at the beginning. So one area of your, how you got there story that I want to highlight is your humble beginnings. You attended your first MLB game as a member of the boys and girls club. And the only organized sports experience you had before playing softball in high school was as a member of the angels RBI program in elementary school. So talk about full circle, given that uh, one of your first opportunities was, in fact, with the Angels. So talk to us about that experience. And then second, what did you feel like on your first day with the Angels, knowing how far you've come? Yeah, I so I was a part of the Boys and Girls Club, as you mentioned, and that was just a special experience for me and my family because my dad grew up at that going to that same boys and girls club. So when I, you know, it was just me and my brother, it got to a point where the boys and girls club didn't have anyone to run it. And my dad was like, I can't let it go, you know? And we, we lived on the same block as that boys and girls club. So my dad's like, I'll do it. I'll be the director. And so 
um, you know, not only was I a member, but, you know, I had such a close tie to it with my dad helping to run it and kind of a fun blessing in disguise is my dad is a huge baseball fan. And, you know, so he, of course, tried to get any connection he could to, you know, Angels, Dodgers, uh, the Lake Elsinore Storm, you know, some other minor league uh, teams in the area. And we were able to be so ingrained in baseball as part of that program. And it was actually before Angels RBI started, it was called Angels Rookie Ball. And so Angels were able to provide our club with, you know, equipment and uniforms and all of these things. And so, yeah, as, as uh, I think I was in like second grade was my first like sports experience playing with the kids in my community. And, you know, at the time you just think you're having fun and, you know, just playing with your, your neighbors. But now looking back on it, just to see that, you know, again, that was my experience of learning teamwork and learning the game. And I didn't get that experience again until, until high school. And I know a lot of people in my community felt the same way because whether their parents couldn't afford it or, you know, they just didn't have the time to take them to practice or things like that. Um, that was just a, such a huge blessing for the Boys and Girls Club to be able to provide that and for kids to get that experience. And so, yeah, once I, you know, once I got into my freshman year of college and I wanted to go into sports PR, I specifically wanted to go into community relations, remembering that, you know, the angels were able to provide that sort of program. And so I thought, yeah, that would be cool to figure out how to do that, you know, in my own career. And so, yeah, I, you know, got my first job at the Angels and it wasn't my dream position by any means. It was um, a part of their strike force team, which it's their all-female interactive team. And I, I cringed at the thought of being anything remotely close to a cheerleader, but this group, it, they didn't perform routines or anything like that. They were integrated into really just all aspects of the fan experience at the game. And we were supporting different departments, activation. So the marketing department, sponsorship department, and community relations. So my goal was like, let me form a great relationship with the community relations department and, you know, make sure I make myself available for any and every shift that work with that department. And yeah, I was just able to ask them questions and, and share with them my interests. And that's what really kind of, again, just got my foot in the door and kind of led me in the right direction. So you highlight something really important there. First of all, I love your story and the boys and girls club is such an incredible offering to every community that's fortunate enough to have one. Um, we, we are here in, in my, my town and, um, we love supporting them, uh, through, through the Reno aces, but what you said about your first gig with the angels, it was not your dream job. And oftentimes it isn't, but what you did was really important is you formed relationships within the angels organization in the areas in which you were interested. And that ultimately led to the road or the path that you really wanted to go down. So just a great example of getting your foot in the door and not getting so hung up on, you know, what is opportunity number one and having it have to be perfect. Like sometimes it's just opportunity number one. Yeah, exactly. And you were the first person in your family to go to college so congratulations. It's, that's such an amazing accomplishment. And starting out in sports, the sports industry, you didn't know anybody specifically working in sports. You just had that exposure to those organizations as a child. And you shared that you had an initial pressure that you felt to blend in to the crowd. So I want to ask you, when did you find your voice to show up as your authentic self? Yeah, I honestly think it was it was just recently, like in my experience at Beverly Hills Sports Council, I think within the first, I was there six years total. And I think I, I probably maybe within three years, I felt comfortable and um, just in my own skin, not just comfortable within the organization. Um, I think that I just put a lot of pressure on myself to, to just, you know, show up and be professional and, and, um, 
I guess like not show my personality or my my interest or just because I just I don't know I just had this weird fear that like people would would judge me or you know feel like I I'm so different or they can't relate to me and so I you know I just didn't share that much about my story or you know things like that even just like um like showing up in sneakers or because I feel like I had I dress kind of tomboyish and um, I don't like to wear makeup you know and I felt all this pressure to like wear heels and and you know wear a dress and do my hair and do my makeup just little things like that and I think um, you know I give credit to my counterparts and my boss at Beverly Hills Sports Council like they just really let me grow and you know I would say the, the president of the company Danny Horwitz he early on gave me so much, um, I guess he, he believed in me to give me the responsibility to talk to our clients, to, to work one-on-one with our clients and, you know, and just building relationships naturally with our clients. I felt, I felt better like to be myself, to, to bring my own humor and, all of that, even though it seems so small, it just gives you so much confidence to show up every day and be your authentic self to, um, you know, just do the things that, that feel good to you. And yeah, I'm just really grateful that I was able to kind of see that for myself. And I think a big part of that was just seeing other people be their authentic self and realizing how effortless that was and, and thinking of like, yeah, if I could just not have to feel like I'm putting on a front, that would be amazing. Like I, I would love my job more. I would um, make more authentic relationships and friendships. And, and I have in the past couple of years, the clients that I'm very close with and the, the counterparts at other you know teams or agencies, I have great relationship with them because they know, they know my heart, they know my story. And, you know, I, I feel like I do have more, much more authentic relationships because of showing up as my authentic self. Yeah. And so what I heard you say was that you gained confidence through building relationships, seeing others do it with, with visibility that it can be done and then doing great work. So you gain confidence by performing like your, your performance, your contributions is what helped bolster you to say like, Hey, like when I'm me, the work is fantastic. So let, let's do more of that. I think that's such a great, um, great story, great contribution on how to find that voice and that it doesn't happen overnight. I mean, you yeah. mentioned it taking a lot of time to get there. Yeah. I, I think we just, we, I, I guess for myself in always just telling myself that story of like, oh, like you shouldn't be here or, you know, like um, just telling yourselves these lies really, you know, that it makes you scared to just be yourself. And I think the the sooner that we can just realize that just showing up and being ourselves is, is the way to go. It just makes it better for everybody and it makes it better for you and your career. Yeah. And in that authentic self, it's important to you to provide representation for Latinxes in sports and inspire people who may feel they don't have access or resources to get those jobs in sports. Talk to us about how you're doing that. Yeah, I think for me, it's just being, trying to be a resource for anyone who has questions about working in the industry, whether they already have their foot in the door or they don't. Like I have you know, friends or people, acquaintances who find out what I do and they're like, Hey, can you talk to my high school, you know, kid about what you do? And it's just like, yes, absolutely. I don't even care if you, you, you know, end up trying to work in sports, but I would love to just, you know, be that representation for you to show you that, you know, you don't have to come from, you know, a wealthy family to work in sports. You don't have to um, go to the most expensive school or private school or whatever it might be to to work in sports. Um, I think for me, I just, you know, I set a goal going into college and I put a plan, you know, into action and I, I worked tirelessly when I did it. And I, and I think that 
that's a recipe that anyone can do, no matter the resources that they grow up with or think that they have. And yeah, I've been a part of the Hispanic PR Association here in LA. And for me, that's just really important just to, you know, interact with other, you know, Latinxes in the community to show them that I know they might not see a lot of other, you know, Hispanic women in baseball or in sports, but we are out there. <laughs> and so like the more I can be visible, the more I can, you know, extend a hand wherever I can is, you know, how I want to do my part. Yeah. And Emily is very humble. When she started out, she had uh, unpaid internships and at the same time had paid positions too. So you were hustling so hard because oftentimes that foot in the door in sports is through, unfortunately, an unpaid internship. And you found a way to make it work, to work the plan and chase your dream. Yeah. And I think that's like a big part of my story is like, I feel like so many kids might say like, I can't take that sports internship because it's unpaid or which I get it's, it's a total real, real issue. And, um, but like where there's a will, there's a way. And like, I, so the trajectory of my whole career is a little confusing, but I'm going to try to explain it to you guys. Um, I did so much at one time. I, so I worked for the angels from my sophomore year of college to my first year of grad school. And I worked two seasons on the strike force. And then I was promoted to game entertainment coordinator my senior year of college. And I did that for two seasons before moving to Beverly Hills Sports Council. And during those five years, five or six years, I accumulated over 10 years of experience because I had taken on so many other jobs during that time. And, you know, during that time was when I interned for the LA Clippers and game entertainment. I interned at a sports agency. I worked at a nonprofit and then I took on part-time positions with the LA Kings and later the LA Chargers. And also during that time, during my undergrad, I waitressed and I worked retail. And I know it sounds absolutely insane and it sounds insane to me now. Um, and even when I meet some of our interns in college, I'm like, D don't do what I did, <laughs> you know? Like, don't do that if you don't have to. But I just put so much pressure on myself to one, be able to provide for myself and pay my way, you know, through college. But I also just never let go of that, like my, career, ultimate career goal, um, which was to work in sports. And I think, yeah, I just, I just can't um, think of anything else, but to say where there's a will, there's a way, because I just knew I, I needed to make money, but I also didn't want to be a waitress my whole life. You know, like I, I needed to make the sacrifice somewhere and whether the sacrifice was in my sleep and social life. And th that's where my sacrifices were. And I, I think to me, I, I have zero regrets about, you know, the trajectory and what I put in during that time. I mean, it's, it's unreal the way that you've stacked all of these experiences. So baseball, basketball, the sports council, um, you mentioned football in there. So what synergies did you find within these different sports? You were doing PR, you were doing game entertainment. Sometimes there's a little bit of, of trickiness switching among the different sports. So love to hear about some of the synergies that you uncovered. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me was I was just really glad that the foundation of my career was in game entertainment and fan experience because the synergy was really in focusing on that. Um, it trained my mind to always think about the fan experience. So how are we building brand awareness? Is what we're creating going to engage, going to engage them? Are we earning their trust? I just think it's important that you know, no matter what aspects of the sports industry you're in, you're considering how your decisions ultimately affect the fan experience. And I think when we all do our part to improve that experience, we build a better community of, you know, passionate fans that really just improves, you know, we see that improvement everywhere, whether it's ticket sales or merchandise sales or engagement on social media, you know, all of that plays a huge part in making this, making this machine work. <laughs> So how did you land all of these roles? What was that process like um, 
adding in additional teams that you were working for? How did you get your foot in the door with so many of the biggest or the biggest teams in LA? Yeah. So my getting the job at the angels was just through good old teamwork online (laughs) website portal. So did that. And then once I got the job at angels, it was, it was, uh, my internship at the Clippers, it was kind of just super lucky that they needed one intern in game entertainment and they specifically needed someone with, or they wanted someone with like a, a dance team background or like cheerleader background because you were going to work directly in the locker room with the dance team. So like I had just had the perfect experience being a part of Strike Force that I was able to, you know, be a really great candidate for that position. So got that position and I just hit it off with my bosses. Like I actually am having lunch with that boss today. Um, and we've been great friends. She's been a great mentor to me and even her um, boss at that time. um, She was amazing as well. And both of them are really the ones who kind of um, just opened my mind to the different areas that I could go into, whether that was like event management or, you know, production and things like that. And I kind of just kept an open mind because of them. And from there, that's when I got um, recommended to work for the LA Kings part-time because the director there was actually a stage manager with me at the Angels. So that was, you know, uh, kind of just networking. And then the LA Chargers, I got that position because of my old boss at the Clippers. She was then um, kind of serving in like a consulting role for the LA Chargers. And so really all of my later positions with teams were all because of the relationships that I had built at a prior experience. And Beverly Hills Sports Council happened because once I was in grad school, I was going to school for PR and I knew I wanted to get back into like the representation side. I had had one internship at a sports PR agency and loved that experience, but wanted to stay in baseball if I could. And you know, found Beverly Hills Sports Council, started out as an intern during grad school, and then was hired on once I graduated. So again, relationships paid, played a key factor in all of these opportunities. And you also mentioned that you had some female bosses and role models that helped you along the way. How important was it looking back for you to have women to look up to in your career? Oh, it was so important for me. And I think especially during that time, like I went from starting in baseball and which I feel like the front office was primarily male or, you know, heavy male influence. I didn't have that many female influences there other than, you know, my counterparts on that strike force team. And then once I went to Clippers, it was like a stark difference because I worked with the dance team and, then I worked with the bosses there, which were actually a lot of the department was female. And yeah, those are those two women, um, Marianne Herman and Audrea Harris. They are two examples of women who just show up as their authentic selves and they work hard and they, you know, stick to their guns on, you know, what they feel is, is right. And, and, and just, I, I couldn't say enough good things about them, but I just, just seeing them work. And it was, it was a interesting time that I was there with the Clippers. That was when the um, uh, Donald Sterling, you know, situation blew up. And I'll never forget that, that first game back from, you know, the whole Donald Sterling debacle. Um, Marianne kind of gathered the whole game, game entertainment crew and just said like, you know, we have to put everything else aside. Like we're here to, you know, make a great experience for fans. Like this might be someone's first game and, you know, we can't let the distractions of this week, you know, ruin that for people or ruin that for us. Like 
we know what we bring to the table for, you know, game entertainment here. And we're going to do that. And we're going to, you know, like she, I just remember she just pumped up everybody to just, you know, put that behind us and show up and work hard and just bring the best experience that we could. And it was just like moments like that, that to me could be so stressful for someone in her position that she just owned it. She was confident and she really just rallied people around her to, to feel the same way. And that's just something that like I've always carried with me of, you know, no matter what situation I'm in, whether it was with a client or, you know, with agents, like, there are a lot of times in sports where we feel like a lot of pressure or feel stressed or feel like our backs are against the wall. And I just like seeing people like Marianne succeed in high pressure situations and be so calm and still so caring. And like, you know what I mean? She just, she was never, never negative. Um, just seeing someone like that really inspired me to, to maintain that level of like integrity and positivity throughout any of my experiences. You guys, we have a new website, leadershipisfemale.com. Please visit us and know that we are here to help get you to the top faster. Are you a career female looking for an edge? Are you looking for answers on how you can level up? Our purpose is to bring interviews with female leaders in sports each week through this podcast, Leadership is Female, so you can uncover opportunities, hear tips to elevate your career, learn from our mistakes and successes so that you can get to the top faster. We're giving you all the advice we know now that we wish we knew then. We're extending a hand back to lead you forward. Let's go. Visit leadershipisfemale.com. Join our newsletter. Check out all the episodes of the podcast and stay tuned for more resources to lead you forward. Leadershipisfemale.com. Throughout this season of Leadership is Female, I've talked with several founders of the Pro Sports Assembly. I'm glad to become a founder too and invite you to join us at prosportsassembly.com. We are the Association for People Who Work in Professional Sports. Our core purpose is the advancement of diverse and inclusive leadership. From finance to innovation, operations and sales to social responsibility, marketing, human resources, and analytics, the Assembly aims to ensure pro sports has a diverse and talented pipeline to lead these efforts and more. Visit prosportsassembly.com to learn more. That's such a great example of female leadership and how that's led you forward in your career. So speaking of leading you forward in your career, this is a really exciting time for you in your life. You have recently launched your own business, Orth and Crawford. I want to know more. I can't wait to hear more. So tell us about what you're doing, who you're working with, um, what you're aspiring to accomplish in this first year. Yeah, so Fourth and Crawford is a creative communications agency. Um, I like to call it just a catalyst for purpose-driven athletes and sports figures and brands to, you know, elevate their public presence, connect with their audience, and maximize their brand equity. To me, those are those like three big pillars that, you know, I want to help my clients execute. And, um, you know, I, I can get more into the service a little bit later, but, you know, for me, I think a big thing about fourth and Crawford is I definitely didn't think that I was going to start my own company this year. Um, or, you know, I, I thought maybe starting my own company would be something like 15 to 20 years down the road. And I just really think my own company was a result of, me getting quiet in 2020, um, not having the, any distractions uh, last year and just doing a lot of internal work to understand what I valued in my life, what I wanted for myself, for my career. I um, give props to Glennon Doyle's Untamed book, <laughs> which is amazing. I recommend it to anyone out there. I One of the questions that she asked in the book was, like, if you could create your most beautiful life, what would that be? And so when I read that question, and then I was also doing like some other like internal work, one being um, the seven equities, which like you write down like the different seven areas of your life and what 
uh, I was writing affirmations for the different like seven equities in my life. And then when she asked, what would your most beautiful life be? I went back to those seven equities and thought, okay, what does the most beautiful look like in my career? What does that look like for my spirit? What does that look like, you know, for business? And I, you know, wrote all those things down. And when I did that, I realized like, what, what just like tugged at my heart was like, you can do this on your own. You can, you can, you can get the purpose-driven clients that you, you want. And like, you can, um, you know, make your own schedule. You can uh, even just having the work life, like you can go take care of your dad for a day. If you need to, you can, um, you know, just things like that, that I just felt that I didn't have, um, or I wouldn't have if I just continued to pursue um, a career elsewhere. And granted, I was so, I'm so grateful for my experience at BHSC. BHSC, my job there is my dream job, right? And it's this starting my own company that is, that is me stepping out of my comfort zone and being fearless and showing up as my authentic self to say, hey, like I have this idea of, how I think athletes should build their brands. And the only way that I feel like I can do that to the best of my ability is to do it myself and to, to build a team that I'm excited about that I think can, can really make my ideas um, happen. And so that's what really excites me about Fourth and Crawford. Barely start, I barely launched and all the clients that I have are from existing relationships, what I'm, which I'm super blessed about. So I'm like, I can't wait till I, you know, really get out there and, you know, pursue new clients because I'm just excited to see where this can all go. That's incredible, incredible story. And that key theme of your relationships and the great work that you've done and the hustle you've put into the career is what's paid it forward to launch your own business. And in a space that's really important and needs direction and needs people like you, Emily, and, and Forth and Crawford. So can you give us three tips? How can people and brands better connect with their audiences? How do people and brands better build their brand equity? Yeah. So I think the three things that come to mind are one, be authentic. I think that especially now in the age of there's so many touch points that you could have with a brand or a person through social media or in person, or, um, you know, there's just so many places that you have to be authentic. Like it's too hard to not be yourself (laughs) in this day and age. Like if you're not yourself, like you're going to, you're going to slip up somewhere. And it's just, I can't stress enough to be authentic. And even if, even if it's hard, I know, um, you know, there's just so many things that people second guess whether they want to be open about. And my goal with my clients is always to be, I know you might be afraid to, to, to share your faith or, you know, share this cause you're passionate about or share your story, but think about all the people that you're creating space for to share their story or, um, you know, find some commonalities between your story and theirs. I think it's that that's where things are really powerful. Um, the second is to also have depth to that authenticity. I think, you know, people are like, um, even something as simple as like a player saying, I like to cook and it's like, okay, but like, what do you like to cook? What did you, what did your mom make for you growing up? Or, you know, that's, that's a very like easy example, but I think a lot of times brands or people just want to like touch the surface on, you know, certain aspects of their brand. And it's just like, I, I, I want brands and people to really go in depth with whatever it is that they're sharing, like be vulnerable, um, share behind the scenes. I think all of that is just so much more powerful than, you know, any like smoke and mirrors that you might put up just to, touch the surface on a cause or whatever it might be that, you know, that you're sharing. And then lastly, be consistent, whether that's, you know, you showing up for, you know, a a cause, or if you're, 
in your everyday life, be consistent with whatever your brand is. Like, I just think that a lot of times people might think like, oh, I'm going to, you know, promote this as my brand, but I'm only going to show that on social media. And then when I'm at a conference or when I'm in an email, I'm not going to be that person. And it's just like, it kind of just goes back to those other two points that I touched on. If you're being authentic, if you're being vulnerable, um, if you can do that consistently, that's when you're going to build that brand equity that people are going to, it's going to resonate with people that, um, you know, these are your brand characteristics and you show up as this person everywhere they see you, whether that's on the field, whether that's, um, you know, in an interview or, you know, on your social media. I think a really great example of this is uh, one of my UFC clients, his name is Cub Swanson. And he, obviously he's a UFC fighter, so he's super tough. Um, and in my initial meeting with him, when I asked him about, you know, what he, what he cared about and what he wanted his legacy to be, uh, he got emotional about what motivates him to share his stories with others. And it was it was amazing to me to, to, for us to just have this honest conversation and for him to be vulnerable with me about that. And it's authentic. Like I love athletes like Cub who it, it comes off so easily. And his first fight, um, since that conversation, he won his first fight back, um, after an injury and in his interview, they asked him, you know, what were you thinking about in, you know, during your fight? And he started crying and said, I was just thinking about my kids and I just wanted them to be proud of me. And it was like, you can't make this up. Like you could never force a player to be that authentic. Like if, if, if you, and that it just like filled my heart with so much joy because it's like, this is, it just affirmed that I was, he was the right client for me because it was like, I never want to work with someone who I have to like manipulate key messages or, you know, things like that. I, I want it to be authentic and I want it to be real and I want it to be so easy for them to share who they really are in an interview when his adrenaline is still going or when it's, you know, on social media and he's just sharing a story from his couch. Like, all of that to me is, is is what Cub embodies, and it just makes me really excited to work with more clients like him. Emily, that is such an amazing story. You planted <laughs> that seed, and it yeah. came to life on TV. And imagine the impact that that had. I mean, yeah. I felt the all the feelings like hearing that story, and it makes me want to look more into Cub and see what he's doing and when he's fighting and what he wants to accomplish. And that's the beauty of storytelling and sharing your authentic self and being vulnerable is that is the connections that you can make with people. It's incredible. So are there things that you see people doing wrong? So let's kind of flip, flip the script here. And then what lessons can be learned um, from those errors? I, I would say one thing, especially for me working in baseball and knowing that like minor league progression, you know, it, it takes a while until you become an everyday guy at the major league level. And I think not necessarily what people do wrong, but maybe what people are just like not preparing for in terms of, I would say athletes is that I think a lot of athletes think like, oh, like I you know, I'm, I'm still, you know, a few years away from making my debut. I don't really need to work on my social media. I really don't need to do interviews. And that's not true. Like, you know, there's, there's so many things that you can be doing now to build those relationships with your fans, to build that brand equity. Like I said, to, to show up as your authentic self, um, in your social media, in your interviews. And now with, the internet. It's like, you could just type in your name and whether it's ESPN or, you know, a, a little blog about your team, like it's still going to show up for people who are trying to learn more about you. And it's, they don't care. They're just trying to find out who you are, what's your story, where you're from. And I think for younger guys, I just think they should take more advantage of that. And that's something that I loved about the approach that we took at Beverly Hills Sports Council is that as soon as we signed a player, no matter where he was, 
uh, in his career, we wanted to work, you know, work um, towards your brand and ultimately build that. So by the time that you do make your debut, you're not starting from square one. You have fans who know your music taste, who know where you're from, where you went to college, um, if you have a family and things like that. And it's like, all of that is just super helpful in getting brand endorsements, getting the team to utilize you for community relations because you've you know, done hospital visits before, if you've done fundraisers before and things like that. So I just think that whether you're an athlete or you know, even just a professional or just anyone with a social media platform, like that is your, you're your own media company and you can be putting out any of the news you want about yourself or sharing any of the characteristics about yourself through your social media. And I think that's you know, just important for people to keep in mind. I could not agree with you anymore um, on that front, 100%. I think there's this, well, I know there's this humility in baseball too, because you, you don't sign typically um, the big contract right in the beginning and are part of the MLB club. Like, as you mentioned, you're working your way up through the minors and you're part of a team and there's this more like silent culture in the clubhouse versus elevating the individual voices. And I would love to see a shift because I think it would just open so much more opportunity for the guys, one, to find fulfillment in their work because you can connect that to causes and things that are meaningful to you. But then to your point, Emily, then once you do get your debut, you're not starting from square one. Like you've already started to build that momentum and it makes it that much easier to keep it going. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned that too, about like the culture, because that's definitely a conversation that I've come across so many times where guys are like, yeah, I want to use my social media, but I just don't want it to be about myself. And I'm like, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be like, it's all in the way you execute and you tell a story. Like you can post a photo of your teammate and, and congratulate him on an amazing game. You can, um, you know, do a video of you, you know, uh, in the cages and talk about why your bat company is the most amazing bat company. You know what I mean? Where it's like still sharing about yourself. People are still getting to understand your personality and things like that without necessarily having to focus on yourself. It's not like all pictures of you and your, and your fashion or whatever it might be. It doesn't always have to be that way. And I think that's why it's important for athletes to have brand managers because it's complicated. <laughs> it's complicated to think about your social media, your interviews, your brand partners, the league, your team, the PA, all of these different aspects of your career and everyone asking for different things of you. Like it's just important for someone to kind of be that um, person behind the scenes, making sure that it's all working um, effortlessly. Yeah. I mean, there's so many ways and there's a lot of work in putting yourself out there. So if you can have somebody that helps you do that, it's, it's going to be a little bit easier and less of a burden on the individual. And you laid out a couple of examples right there, but um, what lessons have you learned in pitching and PR that can help our audience elevate and find a voice for themselves? Yeah. So in regards to pitching in particular, I think building relationships, again, being authentic and just knowing a good story is key to pitching. I think I, I took that approach early on. It also might've just been out of fear of like pitching and, and, and trying to secure a, a story, but I just always took the approach of like, I really don't want to cold email someone and convince them, you know, that, something, if it was inauthentic, I, I would be afraid to pitch that. Um, because I just feel like people see right through you. If you're trying to do it for your own vanity or your own promotional purposes, um, that's when I feel like it doesn't turn out to be a great story. But when there are, you know, conversations that I've had with players or even with people, you know, just professionals in the industry where I'm like, that's a really amazing story. Like this should be a story that is told on ESPN the magazine or a sports center feature or whatever. Um, I just think you have to, yeah, like have a relationship with different media outlets. Obviously, if you're in PR, then you're, you're doing that. But um, even for athletes, like 
I think a lot of them approach it as they are kind of afraid of the press or they just want to answer the bare minimum, but it's like build relationships with these people. They're people too. And they care about you. Like they care about like, if you had a bad day, uh, hopefully most of the time. Um, and when you treat them like people, they're going to give you grace when you need it too. So, um, to me, the building relationships, um, aspect is important the again being authentic just I again I just can't approach a, a journalist or a writer or a producer with something that's you know just inauthentic and I don't know just there's been times where people have approached me to say like oh I really want to promote this you know new business venture or um, you know whatever aspect of a company or a, or a player and it seems so self-serving like if I reach out to a reporter and tell them this pitch as you just told me it's going to seem very self-serving so for me my job is to get creative to figure out what really is the story there and what's going to connect again with fans what's going to move the needle for your brand and so that's really the work that I always have to do on my part um, but for people who are trying to do this on their own I think just to always keep in mind that like you want to pitch a good story and, and we all know what a good story is. And so um, when we can keep that as our, you know, main focus, then when you talk to whoever it is that might be telling your story, then it, it's going to resonate with them too. And again, you don't have to use uh, a journalist or a producer to tell your story, do that through your social media. If you can do that on your own blog, um, whatever that might be to tell your story, like use whatever you can. So I always ask my guests on the podcast, what's their best piece of advice that they can give women today so they can level up tomorrow. Before I have you answer, I just have to tell you that I interviewed Nancy Hensley, who's the chief marketing officer for stats perform and her best piece of advice for women was to be a good storyteller. And that was the first time I had heard that one. And she went on to elaborate in a lot of the detail that you had just provided. Like if you can tell a great story, be authentic in that story that helps to create that connection and then do it over and over and over again, um, that's when you really start to have an opportunity to, to elevate yourself um, and, and the people around you. So I'm just thrilled to have that topic come up again on this interview. And I don't know if I stole your thunder about your best piece of advice, but can you, uh, can you lay out yours for us? Yeah, no, for me, it kind of just goes back to what we talked about in the beginning of show up as your authentic self. You know, when you show up unapologetically, I think you you make space and you inspire others to do the same. It it reminds me, I think it's, I might butcher the quote a little bit, but it's a, by Elaine Welteroth, who's the uh, former editor of Teen Vogue. She has a quote that says something along the lines of like, when you exist in spaces that weren't built for you, sometimes just showing up is the revolution. And I just like, when I read that, I was just like, yeah, I could not agree more because, you know, again, we put pressure on ourselves to try to fit in or to fit the mold. And really like, that's, that's doing everyone a disservice. Just show up as your authentic self and, and help that, that it, it would just help in so many different areas um, for everyone. Well, you certainly are revolutionary. Miss Emily Reza. And I know that there is so much incredible things to come from you. And I really look forward to keeping in touch. I would love to put an interview down a year from today and hear of all of the amazing work that you've been able to accomplish through the athletes that you work with. Thank you. I appreciate it. And yes, definitely want to circle back with you. I know there's so many exciting things coming for you this year. So would love to touch base again. So how can we keep in touch? Where do we find you online? I am on Instagram and Twitter at E Cabrera Reza. Well, thank you, Emily, for sharing your time and your stories and so much incredible advice today, you guys. If you didn't have a pen while listening to this interview, rewind and go grab one and jot down all of this great information on how to show up as your authentic self, 
be a great storyteller and connect. Yeah. Thank thank you. you. Let's get into the top four takeaways. Number one, your first job likely won't be your dream job, but use it as an opportunity to form relationships with that organization, volunteer in other departments to gain experiences in the areas you enjoy. Number two, you might feel pressure to fit in. That's okay. Work to build confidence so that you can be your true authentic self. How did Emily do it? By watching others and gaining confidence from their true representation. Now she pays that forward to others around her. Number three, the key to a good pitch, a good story. And number four, when you exist in spaces that were not built for you, sometimes just showing up is the revolution. Hey leaders, if you want to be in for a treat, definitely subscribe to the show if you have not done so already, because we have so many amazing episodes coming up. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify, wherever you listen so you don't miss out. And if you leave us a review or post about me or tag Leadership is Female on your Instagram stories to talk about the show, we'll enter you into a giveaway. We're giving away something every single month. Some of my favorite things from my favorite work bag to my favorite sunglasses. Make sure that you spread the word and we will reward you for that. I'll also send you a personal thank you note and repost your comments and reviews. Last thing, did this episode bring you any insights, ideas, aha moments, anything you are inspired by? If so, take one second and share the link, post about it on your Instagram, text your friend, email, so many ways to share leadership is female. And if you do post about this show, again, don't forget to tag at Leadership is Female or at Emily Jansen or my awesome guest today, because knowing that this conversation made a difference for you means the world to us and we love to see it. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Leadership is Female podcast. It means the world to me that you chose to spend your time with this podcast today. If you like this episode, subscribe, share, and review. What can you do today to lead her forward? We will do our part to lead her forward because leadership is female. Thank you for joining us. This podcast was recorded and edited by Emily Jansen, public relations by Paige Hegedus, and distributed by Anchor FM.